speaking with my friend who is an Episcopal priest this week, and he informed me that in the Episcopal church, they call today Low Sunday. I don't know why, but I defended the Presbyterians and I said, we don't have such a thing as Low Sunday in the Presbyterian church. I apologize. Last, day, last week was a glorious day here uh, on campus. Uh, it was a wonderful time for us to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord together. And I hope that it was a, a rich and meaningful uh, celebration for you uh, and your family as well. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, we are going to explore together uh, some of the post-resurrection stories uh, of Jesus and his disciples. And today we're going to pick up the story where we left off last week in John's gospel. And so I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy God, we're here today seeking a word that only you can speak, a word that might uh, free us, a word that might inspire us, a word that might offer mercy that we are just unable to give to ourselves. And so in this moment, you have our attention. Speak to us, we pray, in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. My sons call their grandfather Meatball. <laughs> That's his grandfather nickname. Uh, I'm married into an Italian family, and um, Tom is actually his name, makes meatballs every Christmas. Uh, so the grandkids just started calling him Meatball one day, and that's his name now. <laughs> I call him Meatball, too. 
it's a fact of life that you do not get to choose your own nickname. You should pick your friends carefully based on this. <laughs> Sometimes this works out, right? Many times uh, it does not. It has never gone well for me. Uh, against my better judgment and because I'm hoping you will forget this when I go on sabbatical, I will tell you that my high school wrestling coach nicknamed me Twinkle Toes. <laughs> and to this day, I, I do not know why. Um, I can tell you that it did not boost my social capital in any way. Nicknames can be playful. Uh, they can be endearing. They can also be devastating, right? Nicknames can cause us to reduce someone to a single identity. Well, Doubting Thomas is one such example. It causes us to reduce this disciple to a single quality, to his doubt. Never mind uh, that Thomas was just asking for the same evidence that the other disciples already received. Never mind the beautiful confession that follows when he proclaims Jesus to be his Lord and his God, which is, I think, the most exalted confession of Christ's divinity in all of the New Testament. Doubt. That's what we remember about Thomas. Personally, I'm thankful that the relationship between faith and doubt it's kind of baked into uh, the Easter story. At different times in my life, uh, I've struggled with doubt, and maybe you have too. I have wondered at different times in my life why it seemed that God was not there for me in the way that God was there for, for other people. And maybe you've had that experience uh, as well. Maybe you have your doubts too. And if that's true, then I hope that you are able to see, and I hope that you are able to be comforted by how patient Jesus is in this story with our doubts and how merciful he is to meet us exactly in the place that we need him to. And that said, I don't think it's entirely fair, though, to reduce Thomas or this story to doubt. We have to remember that Thomas is grieving, like the other disciples. He's in a pretty vulnerable place. The, the person that he had given his life to follow, uh, he's just seen this person brutally killed. Uh, he is in a tough spot. He knows very well that sometimes it's the hope that kills you. And he doesn't want to be tricked again. And so he is his guard up. Graciously, Jesus doesn't wait for Thomas to reason through his doubt on his own. Uh, like he did with the other disciples, he just arrives. He just invades the space that they are in. Locked again behind closed doors, Jesus shows up. And what does he say to Thomas? He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful reminder that Jesus sometimes just invades our lives, especially those places that we try to keep him out of. And when he does arrive, when he does surprise us, he doesn't cajole. He doesn't shame us. He comes in peace. And he comes bearing his wounds. John tells us that upon seeing his wounds, Thomas recognizes him. I don't know about you, but um, I find it comforting that Jesus was recognized by his wounds, that he doesn't try to hide them. He even invited Thomas to touch them. 
And why is this powerful? Well, for one, it tells us that one of the deepest uh, forms of connection is our wounds, right? We know and we are known by our wounds. The people who really know you are the ones who know your foibles, who know your scars, who know your wounds, and have not walked away. Nadia Boltzweber said recently that we may be inspired by the virtue and by the accomplishments of others, but we only feel less alone when someone shares their failures with us, when someone shares those parts of themselves that we normally hide. That Jesus is recognized by his wounds also tells us something else, though, too. It tells us that, yes, God can put a life that has been broken back together again. But resurrection doesn't mean reversal. It doesn't mean rewriting the past. It doesn't mean papering over pain. It doesn't mean pretending that it never happened. The things that happened to Jesus really happened to Jesus. And thank God for Thomas. Because without him, we would not know that. One of the strongest symbols of resurrection that I've ever come across is the Japanese art form of kintsugi. Uh, maybe some of you know about this. The, the tea ceremony uh, is a venerated cultural tradition uh, in Japan. And for centuries, there have been uh, tea masters who perform this, this ceremony as a spiritual and artistic practice. Um, and when precious tea bowls uh, that they have to use in this practice break. Families will keep um, those broken pieces of tea bowls, sometimes for generations. And then later they will give them to an artist uh, to be mended uh, by using this, this lavish technique known as kintsugi, which is the art of mending these broken pieces back together with gold, with a gold lacquer. And the basic gist is that by embracing the, pl the flaws and the imperfection, you're actually able to create something far more beautiful, unique, uh, and actually stronger than it was before. Sometimes the artist will even use the gold to accentuate and to exaggerate the cracks and the breaks. I first learned about Kintsugi from uh, the painter Makoto Fujimara, uh, who happens to be a, a Christian artist, uh, an author, and a painter. Uh, and Mako says that Kintsugi is not just fixing. It isn't just repair in the way that we think about repair. We often think about fixing and repair to return something as if it had never happened before. You take your car to a, an auto body shop. You are hoping that when you get it back, you don't see any signs of the wreckage, right? That's the basic idea. To act as if it never happened. But Kintsugi is an opportunity for something new, something different altogether. And my friends, I want to say, and I think what John is telling us, is that that is what resurrection looks like. It isn't just fixing something that is broken to be like it was before. It's something new. Something new altogether. It was true of Christ's very body. And it's true of what Christ came to do in us. He didn't come to just fix us, but to create something new altogether, entirely out of our lives and out of this world. But in order for him to do that, um, we have to be broken first. Or to put it another way, we have to acknowledge our brokenness. There's a, another Kintsugi artist that says when something's perfect, it can't offer anything more. It can't offer anything more. I've been thinking about that line 
and thinking about the refrain from Leonard Cohen's song, Anthem. Maybe you've heard it. It goes, ring the bells that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack, a crack in everything. And that's how the light gets in. Cohen uh, was famously uh, resistant to make comments about his music, avoided talking about his lyrics, wanted them to kind of speak for themselves as an art. But when he was asked about these lines, he said, eventually there is a crack in everything you can put together. You'll notice it in marriage. You'll notice it in um, your work. You'll notice it in your love of God, your love of family, or your love of country. He says, the things we make are imperfect. And that's where the resurrection is usually seen, he says, in the brokenness with the conf- or the confrontation with the brokenness of things. That's where we see resurrection. Well, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. And of course, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his own body. But if you're here today like Thomas wanting a sign, you're here like Thomas wanting something you can put your hands in, something that's a bit more visceral, let me tell you a resurrection story. Uh, If I get emotional, let's pretend I didn't, okay? It's a tender story. I began this sermon talking about meatball. Well, let me tell you uh, about Didi. Uh, Didi has been a a source of tremendous inspiration uh, and uh, hope uh, for me over the last year. Well, Didi is my mother-in-law, and uh, as far as grandparents go, you can tell who uh, got the better end of the nickname deal. Well, last summer, when our family was on our way to Colorado for vacation, we got a call uh, that Didi needed to uh, enter recovery for uh, alcohol addiction. Uh, she had developed some, some bad habits, and these habits uh, were habits she couldn't break, and they ended up almost breaking her. Uh, if you've ever walked that journey, we're pretending that I'm getting through this okay. If you've ever walked that journey with anyone, you know um, how hard it is. Uh, especially in those early days, you have a lot of questions. You wonder, is she going to be okay? Is he going to be okay? You wonder, are we going to be okay? Uh, you wonder, or at least we wondered, Uh, Will everything be the same again? That was a question that we had. um, We asked a lot, and we were particularly anxious about it, I remember. In our case, the answer to that question turned out actually to be no. It is not the same. Um, And we thank God for that because it is something new. I don't know how else to say it other than to say that Didi has come back to life. She isn't the same. She's different. Uh, I've actually never seen life in her face like I see it right now. She has a graciousness for others that is clearly born out of a grace for herself. And she has a contagious joy for everyone around her, including my two sons. Knowing that this is a tender story, I, I called her this week. I wanted to get her permission to share her story, which, again, has been a, a, 
a story of hope and inspiration to me. It, it truly is a resurrection story. And she enthusiastically said, yes. She said that the real danger is in the hiding, the pretending that everything is fine. In her own words, that pretending almost killed her. She's working the steps right now and uh, in the process, um, mending her relationship with others. And in the confrontation with her own brokenness, in Cohen's words, uh, these relationships are actually healing. The cracks are still there, mind you, but the light is getting in. I'm sure you know full well where the cracks are in your own life. And the truth is that even when those cracks are mended, you and others around you will still see them. Like Jesus, you won't be able to hide them. And thankfully, you don't have to. We should give Thomas a new nickname. We should call him Thomas the Curious or Thomas the Great Apostle. I think that one's still available. Without Thomas, we wouldn't know that Christ's wounds are still visible. We wouldn't know. We wouldn't know that, yes, God can put a life back together again, but it won't be like reuniting puzzle pieces so that your life is neat and tidy like it was before. It'll be more like gluing the pieces of a shattered vase back together again, mended and beautiful, but still bearing their scars, just like our Lord. My friends, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.